Welcome to Whisking It All with your host, Angela Spazito, co-founder of Whisk.ai, a food and beverage intelligence platform. We're going to be interviewing hospitality professionals around the world to really understand how they do what they do. From chefs to owners, mixologists to bar managers, you name it, we want to provide you guys with a ton of value, anything hospitality related. Welcome to another episode of Whisking It All, and I'm here today with Teresa Cesario, who is known as a industry multi-potentialite. Teresa, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Angelo. That beard is of looking course. awfully it's, it's lush right now. It's getting there, you know, I'm, I'm keeping it intact. In I trim it, I oil it, but it's pretty much since the lockdown started, I decided to grow the beard. Before this, I, I usually was pretty much clean shave. My life is surrounded by men that have more hair than I do, is really what it's come down to. <laughs> you interviewed my cousin Drew, my husband John, both of them, <laughs> sweeping long That's hair. That's true. Yeah, and they're both and awesome. And here I awesome, am, just yeah. your manic pixie dream girl over here. No, it's awesome. Actually, believe it or not, this is actually like too late because you're the first female on the show, which is which. obviously I don't do this on purpose, but just by, but I need more. But yeah, I reach out to people and get them on the show, but it just so happens that you're the first uh, female, which is awesome. Love to get more. Um, oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. So really the way we like to start off the episode is always get a sense of how our guest got into the industry as a whole. So really it's what's always been interesting about hospitality, I think, is people that are in it are super passionate about it and they usually stick around for the passion more than anything. So I'd love to hear from you. Let's go back to the early days. What got you into the hospitality world? My journey into uh, spirits multi-potentialism starts prior to even okay. being 21 years old. When I was growing up, my father was always in the liquor industry. He was part of a company called Continental, which then became Judge and Dolph, which okay. then was bought by Wirtz Beverage in Chicago, Illinois. I like to say that I've always been surrounded by the liquor industry from infancy, and the industry has been extremely good to my family. My <laughs> father is one of those tall, dark Italian men that you wouldn't want to run into in a dark alley. He's Luigi it. Antonio Cesar. Jr. No. At one given point, there were seven Lou's in our family. But my dad took the path less traveled. I always respected my father in this industry because he worked his way up back when you could just climb a corporate ladder. He worked in the POS warehouse driving a forklift, then became a salesman, then became a manager, all the way wow. up to being the VP of what was the largest distributor in Chicago. So just completely enamored by my dad and his presentation skills and his ways of working. He's one of those people that would get up onto a stage when he was doing uh, GSM meetings and you just couldn't stop listening and watching him because he's just so captivating and the cadence of his voice. And for me, growing up as a performer, I always looked at my dad and listened to him on calls with his authoritative tonality and his articulation and his comical nature. And I was like, wow, this is so entertaining. And my dad always said to me that the closest oh, thing wow. to being in the entertainment industry without being in it directly mm -hmm. was being in the liquor industry. We are surrounded by these casts of characters and every different bar or outlet that you go into is a new scene to set the stage to spread the word about whatever brand or brands that you're representing. That has always been the initial call came from my father. But 
I used to be uh, a radio DJ for Fox Networks. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I uh, had a TV show on Fox in Chicago with legendary shock jock man <laughs> Muller. I was his his co-star Trixie because they said I looked like the girl from Speed Racer, and I did radio and from radio there was always mm-hmm. corporate sponsorships and so i got to see the world of liquor as it its cadence was with corporate sponsorships okay. but my first i guess voyage directly into the liquor industry happened after college okay. so That's i graduated yeah. from columbia with a bfa with a focus on public relations and jazz music so obviously it makes perfect sense i'm in the liquor industry because you think of jazz music and you think of alcohol right i walked in and i was interviewing with southern wine and spirits for what was a portfolio manager world <laughs> with bacardi and as a true performer you fake it till you make it right like you walk in with the confidence of a thousand horses ready to stampede and you sell yourself i always have thought that the interview process was was so entertaining because where else do you get to go into a room and talk about how awesome you are and they actually want to hear it (laughs) right that's amazing so i yeah it is so true so I interviewed with Southern representing Bacardi. So I worked for Southern Wine and Spirits for my first two years. And then Bacardi USA, there was two women, okay. two extremely strong, wonderful women who are still mentors of mine in this industry. One is Kathleen Smith, who has been with Bacardi for over 25 years, and Rachel Irvin, who is a maven in the hospitality industry, just a force to be reckoned with. These two extremely strong women handpicked me as the individual to come on board as a market manager for Illinois at the age of 23. (laughs) So I'm 23 years old and I'm overseeing on-premise Illinois. And God, they had so much faith in me. I look back now and I was such a, I had to have been such a disaster to deal with. (laughs) I remember... One time they came in my office and they shut the door and they're like, okay, Teresa, here's a gift certificate to Ann Taylor. You no longer can wear BB to the office. And here I am. I'm like, I think I look real sharp with my bedazzled turtleneck and my shiny red blazer. They're like, not so much. Hmm. So spent a lot of time with Bacardi. My first, (laughs) I call it five, six years in the industry. And then I met my now husband who was working with Team Enterprises based in Florida. And I was told to stay away from him because he was bad news on the dating front. You see his charisma and you can't walk away. So I dated him long distance till I moved to Florida, where I took a role as the state manager for Stolen Rum, which is a unique offering that was acquired by a company actually in Chicago, but it was a coffee and cigarettes rum, which the cigarettes was just fenugreek. So it was an homage to fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Was with them for a year before I started working with Pernod Ricard and Absolute Elix. And from Pernod, I've been there now for seven years on the same brand, Absolute Elix. So I went from being a brand ambassador to a national brand ambassador mentor. And then now uh, one of their brand uh, managers, brand activation managers for the brand and have been there for seven years now. So that has been my journey. 
Yeah. Um, that, that's really cool to hear how that, that journey happened. You had a bit of maybe exposure from your dad to, to get a sense of what can maybe go on. But how did that first kind of leap happen from, okay, you graduate, you see opportunity, and like what did the early look like in terms of actual, uh, you know, you do it? Oh, so this is fun. So this goes back to the days when you would do promotions for like energy drinks. So all throughout college, I worked with Amp Energy as one of their Amp Energy girls. So I would bounce (laughs) around in my jean shorts and my tank tops to all of these music festivals and fun things that were happening around Chicago. And I did promotions and you get a taste of what field activation looks like and what it means Mm -hmm. to build advocacy with consumers from a guerrilla marketing technique. We used to just be in a big monster truck. They'd drop off a cooler of energy drinks on wheels. And it wasn't until the cops told us to leave and there'd be two girls just scurrying down the street (laughs) calling our field manager, they made us go, they made us go. And we'd be scurrying down the street with a tub of energy drinks, handing them to people as we run away. Uh, So yeah, so it was that experience of having guerrilla marketing and field marketing underneath mm -hmm. my belt that allowed me the opportunity to step into the spirits industry. I obviously was a patron at bars. I obviously was a patron at restaurants. So I knew what it was to right. be the recipient of hospitality. But you break down the word, word hospitality and its host fatality to being a consummate host. And growing it up in an Italian household, yeah. you're taught to host yeah, at all that. times. <laughs> no matter how tired you are, no matter totally and who's coming over, I am the Italian grandma that's, oh, you just came for right. dinner. Let me make you a Let me make you a a sirloin. (laughs) Let me make you a a plate of pasta. It's just about service. And you look at the word service and it's serve us. Not only is hospitality about what you're giving, but it's about the reciprocation of what it's night and what it feels like to give something to somebody without any expectation of anything in return. It's about the art of giving. So for me, it was a natural progression based on like my moral <laughs> aptitude of development as a human being, coupled with my very preliminary experience of field marketing and my genuine appreciation of sales. And then How it came from a perspective is performance. I spent my entire college years playing in rock bands and performing a degree with jazz as a minor. You're always up on stage. So when you're communicating with people, knowing that if you're sparkly and shiny, they're going to want to be around sparkly and shiny. So making sure that your light bulb is fully charged and you're giving that goodness to people. And, and I remember, I think the first time I met you was, was through John at uh, Tales of the Cocktail. And I just remember that description you just gave of attracting people. That's exactly what I noticed. Like, I don't know who this girl Teresa is, but I want to be her friend. It's awesome vibes, good energy. I want to hang out with her. Like you're always in a good mood. Yeah, I can imagine that that's such a, you know, it sounds so obvious, but it's such a valuable skill in sales to be likable. And a question for you, okay? In the early days when you first started working there, what in the industry was your dad kind of mentoring you or you found your own mentors within the industry? I would say my father is always a shepherd for us, but he is a firm believer of opening the doors yeah, and we sense. have to walk through. And one of the main reasons I didn't go into wine was because I didn't want to always be yeah, Lucario's daughter. 
And especially in Chicago, there are people that are, you're a union sales rep with Southern and you don't leave. There are people that are still there that were on the up and up with my dad growing up. So it was always trying to make a name for myself my mentors have always been very strong women from the early days with Dana Hauser, who is still at Southern, to Rachel Irvin and Kathleen from Bacardi, to now currently I had three amazing mentors at Pernod, one being the most creative woman I've ever met in my life, Miranda Dixon, Stefan Ogini, and Jonas Stalin. And Stefan has now gone on to create his own tequila. Wow. And Jonas is now the VP at Moet Hennessy. So you find these people that shepherd you. And then as their careers progress, and they continue yeah. to shape you in their likeness and the positivity of their likeness, you tend to follow them, right? So it just opens up more doors for you. So I think one of my biggest um, recommendations to people early on in their career would be find mentors as you evolve. And it's okay to change them, but make sure you stay in contact, even if it's just a message once a quarter to people to make sure that you still value their guidance. People wanna see other people succeed, and especially in this industry. Right, I love that advice because it's, I, th- I think not enough people understand how important it is to have a mentor. Right? Like, large, like things are tough. Work is hard. Things and like, especially in hospitality. But I even think of myself in the, in the tech industry. Where, you know, things are so evolved now and up and down. And having um, that you can rely on that can guide you. Um, right. It, it's important to learn from your own mistakes, but it's helpful. I always say to also learn from other people's mistakes. Maybe you know, a lot of the people listening. I think that that's great advice. Right. Find a mentor. What advice would you give them in terms of how to find that right mentor? Like, what do you look for, you know, when you were looking for a mentor? So as I move into the quarter of my life that I'm in right now, I'm currently looking for a mentor that's potentially outside of this industry. So it's a great question that you just asked because I'm having to investigate that answer in the present moment. I have, I think when you are part of larger corporations, obviously your boss or your boss's boss are great people to look to for mentorship, but even more so than wanting their job, I think you need to look at people and their accolades Mm -hmm. as human beings. Are they morally righteous? Do they vibrate at a high level of frequency? What do they bring to the table that is outside of just occupational intelligence? Looking at a woman who is married, has children, juggles that life as well as her occupation and finds success, you learn from them not just about what to do and what not to do with your career path, but your life path. They're able to offer you guidance if they're, they've been able to find that synergy between passion and purpose and life and work. So I think it's about finding people that have the intersection of success in both their personal life and their work life. Drop the mic. That was that was that was such a good answer. No, no, honestly, it was great. It was great, amazing that you were genuinely thinking of that on the spot. And advice, like to all our listeners out there, yeah, it's it's to, you know have occupational mentorship. But when looking at that person, it's how are they in their day to day life? Are they happy? Or <laughs> what are they doing? You don't just want to follow someone because they're successful at their career, but miserable everywhere else. So great advice. That's awesome. Um, and so so moving on. So five years. You were five years there. What was the next step in your life? Okay, my time here is done, right? Like when do you, for other people out there, maybe 
stuck in a job. And I say stuck because sometimes maybe people are happy, maybe they're not, maybe they're not sure if they're comfortable, you know. So for you, what was that moment, I should say, where you were like, okay, my time here is done, you know, I'm ready for something new. It came in the form of a six foot five, <laughs> long blonde haired, Mufasa meets Fabio creature that walked into oh, my office at Bacardi. I would say that life happened, right? You never know. You never know what love will, when love will walk into your door. And it walked into my door at that time. And I did the best I could to stay away from it because I was on a great career path. But like we just discussed, you have to have success in your life as well as your career. And for me, I was I wasn't looking for love, but it found me. And John and I have now been together wow. for almost 10 years. And we dated long distance for six to eight months. And I have to tell you, it was one of the most difficult decisions I ever made because I had such a beautiful work family at Bacardi. Actual Bacardi family members like Alex Argamasia was on my team, Rachel, Craig, all of these beautiful individuals. Wow. And I was happy. I was so happy with what I was doing. And I think that's such a difficult decision that we are faced with sometimes on what's the most important thing. And for me, in this case, love conquered all. And I remember I didn't tell my boss, Rachel, for six months that we were secretly dating because he was part of our agency and Bacardi was the client. And I was so nervous. And I remember going into her office and I'm crying and I'm so sad and I'm telling her what I did. And she's like, I've known this whole time. <laughs> she knew the whole oh, time. And she's like, I'm one amazing. of your best friends. You don't think I know this? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and she's like, I get it. So that was tough because I ended up taking a job that I wasn't sure of. I wasn't sure I could do the job I took, to be honest. So I At became point, the sales was... manager for um, Florida for this rum company called Stolen Rum, which was gotcha, an innovation okay. brand and it was very small. I went from working with a large portfolio like Bacardi where you walk in the door, everybody knows who you are, right. to a brand that was like a super aggressive hand sell. And it had the word wow. cigarettes on the label. They've since <laughs> taken it off. But I am like a beacon of health and wellness. And here I am yeah. trying to convince people to put a rum on their back bar that says cigarettes on it. I was like, okay, let's talk. It was uh, Marana Mia. But I took the job, was really excited about it, grew the brand substantially in Florida, had a really fun time doing it because they were kind of up for anything. They were a real risk taker as far as branding goes. Whereas, and they definitely didn't have the same legal counsel as Bacardi <laughs> did. But they, yeah, they definitely let us do a lot of guerrilla marketing, it was a great product, learned a lot about about working for a small company. And then as the universe would have it, I went to the film festival in Park City, Utah, and I met a girl named Kristen, Kristen Vesley now, but she was working for Absolute. She was one of the original oh. brand ambassadors ever hired wow, for okay. Absolute Vodka. So she had been with Absolute for uh, almost a decade. And she's, you're so lovely and fun. They're expanding our team with this new brand called Absolute Elix, would you be interested in brand ambassadorship? And this was at a time where like brand ambassadors didn't really have an identity. Cause I don't think it has been in, in since 
the past maybe four to five years that people actually had right. a strong respect for the role that people understood what the role was supposed to be doing. And at that time, it was viewed as like this fluffy (laughs) job that didn't really require much. And as a salesperson, I admit as a salesperson, I I was like, these roles are just so fluffy and pointless. I had that mentality at at a point in time. And it wasn't until I actually stepped into one of those roles that I understood what the potential was for success with it. Irony is that my husband runs the advocacy team for team makes this so hilarious. But yeah, I think that was a roundabout way to answer your question. But yeah, that's how I ended up where I am today in Florida. I'm a big believer that you have to believe in not just the product that you are selling, but the person you work for. Every single Mm -hmm. role that I've ever taken, I have looked at the person who would be my boss and it had been a huge deciding factor in me taking a job or not taking a job because you have to want that person to succeed and you have to want to work hard for that person otherwise the motivation's not there so the idea of me doing a great job so that my direct report looked great I was excited to do that so I've had amazing bosses literally I can't say a bad thing about anybody that I've ever worked for I'm the luckiest person on this planet and so for me working for a big corporation it's somewhat political. I think that gets a little messy sometimes. I, I, I feel like all it means is doing enough good PR on yourself that people around you have the desire to work with you, for you, or have mm-hmm. you work for them. So it goes back to the first thing that I said when we first got on this call was being a lighthouse. So being that bright light that no matter what's going on in the organization, whether it be a huge reorg, that they can turn to you as a beacon of positivity. So with large corporations, it's about being this big bright light. I think with a smaller organization, it's about being all hands on deck real really having humility never being afraid to get your hands dirty i i won't ever forget this rachel irvin was the rm for illinois and we were at an event and it was super packed and she started bussing tables and like just started bussing tables and i then saw her bussing tables so i began bussing tables so it's about knowing that no job is too small for you, that you're not too good to do anything, that if you're at, I remember it was Super Bowl here in Florida and it was pouring down rain and these promo girls that we hired were just getting drenched and inundated and here I am decked out to the nines, I'm entertaining clients and I threw a a garbage bag over my head, cut a hole in it and I went out there and I started packing things up and cleaning up with the girls and Mm -hmm. I just, it's just about being a good human So I think that's one thing. And with smaller companies too, it's about having a diversified way of working. So sales, marketing, e-com, everything. You have to do a little bit of everything. There's not different divisions and someone to call. Multi-potentialite. You can do a lot of things while wearing one hat. I always say I'm wearing a really big hat, but it has a lot of tassels. And each of the tassels has a little accoutrement hanging from the bottom of it, whether it's like a computer or a microphone or a music note. It kind of has the capacity of being you in a full spectrum. 
No, that's that's a good way of putting it. For me, when I think of it, a, a big company, a lot of the times is good in terms of, you know, structure and potentially, you know, working your way up the ladder and, and security. And, you know, smaller companies at times is considered riskier, but also with that risk comes kind of that, that uh, curiosity that gets nourished, you know, because you get to wear many hats or you get to do many things. So, but but there's definitely pros and, and cons to, to both. For for me, I've always liked me now. I, I work for myself, but for the longest time, I, I love the, the vibe in small companies because I like when things move fast. Um, but then again, I've never worked for too many big companies. I wouldn't be able to contrast <laughs> too well. But yeah, so to, to, to fast forward. So fast forward now. So Five years at your first job, then you transferred into this role for how many years? And to kind of summarize, like today, what's your, your current role? Is it still the same? Are you currently a uh, brand ambassador? I'm going on seven years with Alec. So brand. I'm currently on the brand team and I manage gotcha. the activation component for Absolute Alec. So that's all about taking our overarching brand plans and working with the teams in every single one of our states to localize the program okay. for maximum effectiveness, as well as, especially this year, pivoting the brand from being 90% on-premise oh, wow. to right. 70% off-premise, which everybody had to make some significant changes and pivots to their brand and their route to market strategy. So that's where my role is. But that being said, the reason I have this jacket here is because I had to do a training for Alabama this morning because we don't have mm. a ambassador that sits with Alex. Right. So I, like I said, multi-potentialite, I'm willing to do anything that needs to be done if it's for the advancement of the role and the brand. That's amazing. And, and so I'd love for you to touch on, if you could share, did, did Absolute Elix do what everything kind of shifted to off-premise, right? Like a lot of companies, I mean, not only hospitality, a lot of companies in general, but specifically hospitality obviously had to pivot a lot. Can you share any of the yeah. things that you guys have done? Uh, yeah, of course. I mentioned her before, but there's a woman by the name of a Miranda Dixon and Jim Meehan put out a book about the hospitality greats. And if you turn to a page that's entitled The Vodka Princess, you will find a picture oh, of wow. her and a story about her as an individual. And she's known in this industry for her ingenuity and her just radical creative mind. And so with Miranda, you give her a lemon and she doesn't make lemonade. She figures out a way to get a frozen snow cone <laughs> machine that's in the shape of a unicorn that makes sparkly snow. And it doesn't taste like lemon. It tastes like strawberry lemonade because things that are pink and taste like <laughs> strawberry are clearly better. Like I don't, it's one of those people who you just want to climb inside their that's brain awesome. and just try and figure out what's going on, but you never really know. So she took the reins in our off-premise execution in developing for the first time Absolute Elix VAPs. So for those of you listening that don't know what a VAP, it's like an, a value-added product that is seated a alongside of a bottle of alcohol okay. in the off-premise. So when you go to a grocery store and you see a bottle with two pretty cups gotcha. or like a shaker, that's a VAP. But in true Moran fashion, we weren't going to offer basic cups. We created this amazing Elix disco vap that had disco cups that were shaped like disco balls alongside the absolute elix bottle as well as 
uh, recipe booklet. But in addition to that, what I did is I worked with our team here to create what was the Absolute Elix virtual disco experience. So in five key markets across the country, we worked with local DJs to create uh, a Spotify playlist of disco music, which is obviously on the insurgents right now everybody's listening to disco and to create playlists that were on our elix spotify playlist but in the off-premise we also had a qr code that would traffic you to live virtual events that you could tune into across the country and listen to these top disco djs from boston New York, LA, Nevada, and Florida, and tune in so that you are having this celebratory moment of music and cocktails in your comfort of your own home, but with all these other people. And in the same time, raising money for hospitality relief funds in each of these cities. So making sure while we're operating in the off-premise, we're still taking care of the on-premise individuals that are so vital and so important to the community. That's really cool. As a side note, I definitely want you to send me those playlists. I love disco, so I want to add those playlists to my Spotify list, um, which is which would be great. And I'll, I'll also include it when we release this episode. I'll include the links. I'm, I think people would love that. Um, it's it's cool to see how how people have adapted. I mean, I know it's tough, and it's just just something as simple as a QR code, right? Like, I don't know if you remember when QR codes kind of first came out, but then they kind of died. But then because of the way things worked out and, you know, with menus at restaurants, it's, it's kind of t- the second wave, you know, like it's crazy. It's unbelievable. I remember like Q- QR codes. Who uses yeah. those? I'm from the analog to the digital generation. I was born in the late 80s. So I feel like I'm on the tail end of those that remember exactly. life without cell yeah. phones. And like then in my teens and early 20s, the adaptability of this digital lifestyle and QR codes came out in a frenzy and then became immediately obsolete just to become the most widely used menu for this past year. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. It's been crazy seeing it at, as menus and even as payment options now, just scan the QR code and pay. And it's funny how fast it's adapted. So crazy, crazy. Um, and so one of the ways we typically love to wrap up the episode is with something called last day on earth. So really the idea is just if it was your last day, what would be your go-to beverage of choice and what would be your go-to meal of choice? So I'd love to, I'd love to hear. You know, I feel like these types of questions were asked a lot during COVID because everyone was wondering <laughs> at the end of the world. I am a purist with my drinks. My drink would be a absolute elix martini with an in and out of dry vermouth and a twist freezing cold. And my meal I would pick would be probably the sog paneer and samosas from in London. Preferably shared with yeah. all my best industry friends around a table and, and enjoying together. That's amazing. That's amazing. Teresa, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat today. It was really, really awesome. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This has been so enjoyable and it's great to see your face.